two years ago, uh, our family, we moved into a new house and, and uh, it, it was a fun season. You know, we needed a place to live and so we found this house. We didn't know much about the street that we were moving in, onto, but it's, it's turned out to be this incredible gift, not because of the houses that are there, but because of the people that inhabit those houses. And it's just a really special, really special group of people. Uh, one of the first neighbors that we met when we moved on to this street were our next door neighbors, Rose and Tommy. In the early 60s, Tommy is a truck driver. Rose works at Publix and just amazing, spirit-filled people, love the Lord. And I remember when we went to look at the house, they were in the backyard and they were like just talking our ears off and just like asking us tons of questions. We thought, man, these are the kinds of neighbors that we want. I'll never forget, it was our third Saturday or so living in the house. We hadn't been there very long. And there's this kind of just gentle knock on our front door. I was playing with our boys and there's this knock and I go to the front door and Tommy, our neighbor, he's standing there with this stack of DVDs. And I don't know if you've ever had a random neighbor show up at your house with a stack of DVDs, but it's like, okay, I guess we're about to have a party. I don't know what's happening here, but he's here with these, these DVDs and he didn't know much about us, but he looked at me and he's kind of embarrassed, and a little bit shy. And he just said, hey, he said, I don't know how to say this. He said, but I'm a follower of Jesus, and I don't know where you're at on your faith journey. He says, but I've got some DVDs that just tell you the story of the gospel and who Jesus is. And he said, I would love it if you'd watch these and your family can talk about them. And, and uh, you know, I thought, uh, I'm just going to mess with them. So I cussed them out and slammed the door. Not, um, <laughs> wanted him to feel persecution, you know. <laughs> um, and uh, it, it was great. No, he, he didn't know anything about me. He didn't know I was a pastor, didn't know I was a follower of Jesus. And we just had this great conversation. And I thought, man, this guy loves us. Like, he really cares. Like, it, he cared enough about us to, to push through that awkwardness a little bit and to show up at our house and have a conversation. And, and we, we built this really neat friendship. On Friday of this past week, Friday morning, Sydney and I were getting ready to leave our house. We're getting ready to go talk to a group of leaders uh, about the citywide prayer and fasting. And you know, a few days before, Tommy had had a surgery. And so uh, we're getting ready to walk out of the house and this ambulance comes roaring up to Tommy's house and Sydney goes, oh man, this isn't good. So she runs out of the house and she runs into their house and immediately she just realized he's not gonna make it. And so there's this moment on Friday morning where we watch our, our neighbor, our dear friend, like be wheeled out dead in front of his wife. And, and it, it was just like, just the sorrow kind of set in. Like, man, one moment, He's here, and he's our friend, and then the next moment, it's like, here we go. And over the last two days, we've just kind of been sitting in the way to that a little bit, and the, and the Lord keeps reminding us of things that we, we knew in our heads, but they, they've kind of distilled themselves in our heart in a brand new way in this season. We were laying in bed last night just kind of talking about this, and you know, I was just reminded that you know, every person matters. Like every person you see, they were handcrafted by God. They were dreamt up by God. Some of them were more refined than others. But every neighbor, every barista, every coworker of yours, every student on every college campus, there's nobody here on earth that is an accident. Every person matters. And we're, just, we're thinking about just how much he mattered to us. It's not just that every person matters. It's that every day is a gift. And we're just thinking about our neighbor Rose and we're going, man, she had no idea that was her last night to sleep in bed with her husband. She had no idea that was her last breakfast. She, she, she never saw it coming. It was, it's like every day that we're given is a gift. Every person matters. Every day's a gift. Kind of the third thing that's just been rolling through our hearts over the last few days is that eternity is real. That, that when you watch somebody pass away, I don't know if you've ever been that close to the moment, but when you see that happen, you, you just go, man, you start asking questions like, what's on the other side of this? Like, what's on the other side of this? It's like every, every person matters. 
Every day's a gift. Eternity is real. And Jesus alone is the hope of the world. Jesus alone, like, like only Jesus. Like, you know, there's this moment where we're gonna stand before God and we're not gonna stand before him with our list of good works and say, see, <laughs> like, like we're gonna stand before God, we're gonna go, oh, it's only Jesus. It's only Jesus. And I've just been thinking about the words of Psalm 90, verse 12 over the last two days where, uh, where the psalmist writes, he says, Lord, teach us to number our days so that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Like, Lord, would you remind us that, that every day is a gift, that every person matters, that eternity is real, that Jesus is the only hope. Lord, would you wake us out of this slumber that we so often live in that like every day is just, it just it's here. And, and I tell you that story this morning to go, man, as we enter into this, this month-long journey of prayer and fasting, why are we doing this? We're not doing this as a PR stunt. We're not, we're not doing this as just a fun thing to get churches together. We're not doing this just to make ourselves feel better. We're doing this because every person matters. Every day is a gift. Jesus is the only hope in the world. And, and our time here on earth is limited. And the mission that Jesus has given us is pressing. We're just going, God, how do we live with that sense of gospel-infused urgency on behalf of the people that God has sent us to? We believe that it starts in this realm. It starts in this place of prayer. And so we're praying, you know, for these people together over the next month. We're saying, hey, God, would, would you show up in their disappointments and their fears and their brokenness and their heartache? And God, would you do what only you can do because each one of these people that we're praying for matters. You know, the goal is not to just pull out our list and over the next 30 days, like on the way to work, you know, you're kind of driving, looking at the list, like, Lord be with Michael, Brock, Carol, George, Brenda, Martin, Martin, uh, Doris, Jennifer, Karen. We love you, Lord. Amen. Like, that's not the way that we're praying. We're saying, hey, God, how do we stand in the gap? How do we contend on behalf of those that you've invited us to pray over? Now, now here's the, the challenge or one of the many challenges is is prayer in and of itself is hard. Like, raise your hand. Be honest if you've ever struggled with prayer at any point in your life. Just raise your hand high if you've ever struggled. If prayer is complex. Like, you know, for me, I think about my journey. Of all the spiritual disciplines, prayer may be the most mysterious and difficult. We've been disappointed by prayer. We've been confused by prayer. Uh, we've, we've been... Um, We've been turned upside down by the mystery of prayer at times, and yet God keeps inviting us into it. And so it's tough to pray for ourselves, but it's even more difficult to pray for people you don't yet know. And so today I just kind of want to open the scriptures and go, how do we posture ourselves to pray on behalf of people that we don't yet know? I love this moment in the Gospels. Jesus' disciples, his close friends, they've come to him. These guys grew up in a religious setting. They'd seen lots of people pray, but they look at Jesus and they say, hey, I've seen a lot of people pray, Jesus, but we've never seen anybody connect with God the way that you pray. Nobody gets their prayers answered the way that your prayers get answered. Jesus, would you teach us to pray? In one of his, in one of his most famous sermons ever, he, he gives two huge blocks to talk about this reality of prayer. In Matthew chapter six, he talks about the content of our prayers. We're not gonna look at that this morning, but it's the Lord's prayer. He says, this is what I want you to pray, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And he says, here's what I want you to pray about when you pray. But he gets into Matthew chapter seven and he says, I wanna talk not just about the content of your prayer life, but I wanna talk about your posture as a person who prays. I wanna make sure you understand the posture that you're coming to the Lord with, and he begins to deal with this. And here's kind of the disclaimer this morning. He, he starts by talking to us as individuals, 
But I believe that what he teaches us as individuals is the key to praying for what God's doing in the city. That until we know how to pray like this as individuals, we will never know how to pray like this for people that we don't yet know. And so this morning as we go through the scriptures, I want you to just kind of see it through both lens. Hey, how do I pray this way on my own? And how do I pray for people that I don't yet know that are on my list? It starts like this, Matthew chapter seven. We're gonna start in verse seven this morning. Goes like this, he says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find, knock and the door will be opened to you. I love that, he's talking about prayer. He says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find, knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks will find and the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Then Jesus asked this question. I think it's kind of a humorous moment. He says, which of you, if your son were to ask for a piece of bread, would give him a stone? Or if any of you, uh, or your kids would ask for a fish, would give them a snake. So, you know, Jesus asked this question. He looks out at this group of leaders. He says, hey, if any of your kids came to you and asked for bread, would you give them a snake? And, you know, it gets quiet because no one knows what to do with rhetorical questions. And Jesus says, no, I want you to answer. Like, hey, guys, church, play along with me. If your kids asked for a, a piece of bread, would you give them a snake? Oh, come on. Would you give them a snake? No, no, and Jesus says, okay, hey, like, like he says, even though you are evil. Now that's like, whoa, that's what he says in the next verse. He says, even those of you that are sinners know how to give your kids good gifts. Look at this. He says, how much more, verse 11, how much more will your father in heaven give good gifts to those that seek him? Jesus says, I, I wanna teach you how to pray. And the, the key to this is in verse seven, three postures here. He says, ask, seek, and knock. And for much, for much of my life, I saw those as three kind of synonymous words. That Jesus was just saying the same thing over and over and over. But through the scriptures, those three words kind of carry a different sort of invitation, a different weightiness with them. And it's this first posture that you see at the beginning of verse seven is the posture of asking. He says, ask, ask, and you will receive. He says, here's one of the postures that I want you to take as, as a prayer warrior for yourself and on behalf of the people that you're praying for. He says, I want you to take the posture of asking. And this posture of asking is so often embodied by the disposition of a child. Have you ever noticed that children do not need to be trained in how to ask for anything? Like, especially little kids. Like, you know, my kids don't go in the back room and develop a strategy how to come in and ask me for candy. Like, you know, I'll be in the middle of like talking with somebody, having a really important conversation. They'll come up, they'll punch me in the leg, they'll pull up my shirt. Hey, dad, 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 dad. Like, they will ask for anything. They ask for what they want. They ask for what they need. They ask for what they're feeling. They ask questions that make no sense at all. Kids ask questions. And Jesus says, this is where the posture of prayer begins, like a child. And he's not saying that in a derogatory way. He's, he's telling us to do this. He's commanding us to do this. He says, you come as a child and you ask God for what is, whatever is in your heart. That's what he says in Mark 11. Ask God for whatever. And the reality is, you know, God, like a good father, he answers our requests like a good father. Sometimes he says yes. Sometimes he says no. Sometimes he says not right now. <laughs> but he says, come to him like a father. Sometimes we complicate prayer. We go, I wonder what his will is. I wonder what the wording should be. I wonder how we should get in God. Jesus says, hey, just start this way. Ask. Just come to me and ask. Our three boys, they stay in the same bedroom. We've got triple bunk beds. And on, on our good nights, our bed, bedtime routine is I'll go in, I'll tell a story, I'll get in each of their beds, I'll, I'll pray with them. On the bad nights, I yell at them, close the door, say, if you come out of here, you're getting spanked. Like, you know, two totally different kinds of nights at our house. But the other night we were having a really good night and I was like in their beds and I was praying for them. I was being a good dad. 
And I get to my oldest son, Micah's bed, and we're praying, or we're talking, telling stories, and then it's time to pray. I said, hey, buddy, hey, would you say your prayers? And he was kind of distracted, so he just goes into prayer mode, and maybe you've done this before. These are the words that come out of his, his mouth. He said, oh, holy, righteous Father of heavenly lights. And I'm like, what was that? I'm like, you're eight years old. Like, you know, all of that's true. He is the holy Father of righteousness and heavenly lights. Like, all those are true things about God. Um, but that does not sound like my eight-year-old. Like, you know, that's how we pray in here sometimes, right? Like, you know, we're getting ready for communion. I'm like, hey, pray with the person next to you. And you're like, thou art the glory and the power. And, the, and, and sometimes we pray like that, right? And so I told him, just stop. I said, hey, dude, just breathe for a second. Think about what is it that you really wanna ask God for? Whatever's in your heart, just say it. He just kind of paused there and he goes, God, give me an Xbox. <laughs> I'm like, that's my boy. Like, that sounds... Like my boy. And this is what C.S. Lewis said. C.S. Lewis said, we come to God in prayer, not with, what should, not with what should be in us. We come to God in prayer with what's actually in us. And we come and we say, hey, God, here's what I need. Here's what I want. I don't know if it lines up with your will, but this is where I'm starting. Would you give? And this is how we're gonna pray for these people on the list. I look at Michael, he's the second guy on my list. I go, Lord, I don't know Michael, but I know what I would ask for if it was me. Lord, would you bless his marriage? Lord, would you bless his finances? Would you give him strong relationships? Would you help him in his work? Ask like children and you'll receive. It's the first posture, we ask. When we ask God, we're coming to him for what's in his hand. But it's not just the first posture. He says, you ask and you receive. You come to me for what's in my hand. Number two, he says, and you will seek and you'll find. If asking is a posture about getting what is in God's hands, seeking is the posture where we come to him to get what's in his heart. It's that moment where we realize that God is not just useful, but he's wonderful, that he's good. It's a moment when we move beyond just asking for stuff and we come to him because we just so badly want his presence. It's almost this like romantic longing, which sounds kind of weird. But I don't know if you've ever fallen in love or you've been on the edge of falling in love and you just have that longing in you. You just wanna be by that person, near that person. You don't need anything from them, but you just wanna be with them. I remember before Sydney and I started dating and seeing her on campus, I was in college, she's in college, and I was like, man, she is like the most beautiful woman on earth. Like, I want to be with her forever. And she came to that realization after I came to the realization. But I remember, I remember seeing her and she had just gone through a breakup with a guy that was like better than me in every way. Categorically, factually, he was a better human being. But they had broken up and I thought, this is my chance. You know, heartbroken, I'll be the rebound and I'll just hold on. And it worked. Like, <laughs> like she would tell you that I was the rebound in every way. And I held on, and I thank God for that moment. I capitalized on her sorrow. And, and I remember before we were together, like I, I memorized her class schedule, and, which is creepy and weird, but it works, so don't judge. And, and I would sometimes skip my classes, and I would walk through her building just to run into her in between classes. Hey, what's up? We're, what are you doing here? And she's like, I take classes in this building. What are you doing here? And I'm like, I'm failing out of school. That's what's happening. <laughs> And I just, I just wanted to be near her. Just want to be, it's, it's like all I thought about. I just want to be by this girl. It's what you feel with your friends sometimes. It's, it's, this, it's this posture of presence. It's what David talked about in Psalm 27, verse four. His life was collapsing. People, people were coming against him. They were attacking him. His friends and family had turned on him. And in the middle of all of that heartache, David cries out. He says, 
He says, God, there's one thing that I seek. There's one thing that I ask. It's that I dwell in your presence forever. He says, I'm not asking you to deliver me or comfort me or strengthen me. I want you and you alone. It's the cry of the heart that's tasted the beauty of God. He says, you come in this posture of asking where you're seeking what's in his hand. Then often we move into this posture of seeking where we come to God for what's in his heart. And sometimes this transition from asking to seeking can be a little bit painful because a lot of times we don't get interested in the presence of God until the blessings of God start drying up. Have you ever noticed that when everything in your life is going good, it's like you can just forget God so easily? It's like, man, all my needs are met, everything's going great, I just forget them. And then sometimes those blessings start drying up and we get hungry for God in a brand new way. I remember when I was a kid, our family lived in this small town in Tennessee for a couple of years when I was in middle school. And out behind our house was this little patch of woods and in that little patch of woods was this drainage ditch that we thought was a creek, you know, because we were young and this is a ditch and it would fill up with water, you know, when the water levels were high and we'd play in this drainage ditch thinking it was a creek. And I remember this one summer there was this drought and the drainage di ditch went dry and we'd go down and we'd play in that ditch and throw the rocks around. And there's this one day where we got bored and we got adventurous and we thought, hey, let's just follow this ditch and see where it goes. We walked along the ditch and we found ourselves at the edge of a river. And when the water levels rise and the ditch filled back up, we never went back to the ditch because we found the river. I think there's these seasons in life where God says, I wanna move you from just asking to seeking. And the way that I'm gonna move you from asking to seeking is I'll dry up the ditch that you've been playing in so you can experience the river. But there's more. There's more. He says, you come to God for what's in his hands. You ask like a child. You come to God for who he is. You seek like a friend, like a beloved friend. And number three, he says, you knock and the door will be opened. You know, if asking is about what's in his hand and if seeking is about what's in his heart, knocking is about what's in the imagination of God. It's this moment where all of a sudden we get obsessed with the Lord's prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done in Nashville as it is in heaven. This knocking moment's where we begin to contend on behalf of the city that God's put us in. Or say, hey, God, no longer are we, um, you know, obsessed with our agenda and our ways and our priorities. God, we're obsessed with your agenda, your ways, and your priorities. May the kingdom of heaven come here on earth as it is in heaven. And as we move into this kind of contending prayer, like knocking, sometimes it's uncomfortable because as heaven begins to come down into our lives, we realize there's still a whole lot of earth in us. And as heaven invades, it feels like a threat. It feels like a threat. You know, there were seasons in my life when I was younger where I'd say, like, Lord, like, please, please don't come back, Jesus. Please don't come back until, you know, I've got my driver's license. Please don't come back till I've gotten married. Please don't come back till I've had sex. Please don't come back till I've gone to college. Whatever it is, I know you can judge me for that. But there were moments when I remember praying that. I'm like, Lord, would you hold off your agenda so I can get to my agenda? And then all of a sudden, you start getting closer to God. It's like, God, all of those things are meaningless. I want what you want when you want it, how you want it. I don't know if you've ever been around somebody that knocks on heaven's door like this, but I think about my friend Bob, and man, he's a contender. He's so close to God. He sometimes prays in ways that make me wonder if he's sacrilegious. He's so bold. It scares me at times, but we'll get in a room and he'll just start praying the scriptures back to God. He's like, God, this is what you said in your word, but you haven't done it yet. Lord, do it now. And I'm like, <laughs> let's put a please in there. Like, a bit bold, but he's got that friendship with God. Hey, hey, God, this is what you said in your word. 
cash that check. I'm like, Whoa. but he prays. He prays, and this is how we're praying for our list. We're not just reading names out into the air. We're saying, God, give them what they need. We ask. God, give them your heart. We seek. God, we're knocking on heaven's door. Would there be no man, woman, or child in this city who has not come in contact with their divine purpose? Ephesians 2.10 is true, that we are the handiwork of God created in Christ Jesus. We've been prepared. Who's prepared great things in advance for us to do? And what we're doing in this season is we're just knocking on heaven's door. We're saying, God, would your purposes fill every human heart in this city? When we ask, we come like children. When we seek, we come like beloved friends. And when we knock on the door, we come like servants saying, here I am, Lord, use my life how you wanna use it for the sake of your kingdom. And Jesus says, this is the way I want you to pray. He says, this is the way that I want you to pray. No more of these anemic, rope prayers that you just pray because the meal's getting ready to start. He's like, no, come after me. Come after me. And he says, here's why you do it. You keep going to verse eight. He says, here's why you do it. He says, look at verse eight. These are the words of Jesus. He says, because everyone, everyone who asks receives, everyone who seeks finds, everyone who knocks will have the door open to them. And we have to wrestle with this. These are the words of Jesus. I'm convinced that in order for you to have a ferocious prayer life, you just have to really wrestle with one question. And here's the one question. Is Jesus a liar? If Jesus is lying, if everyone doesn't receive, if everyone doesn't find, if everyone doesn't experience the open door, if he's lying, then we don't have to worry with this whole prayer thing. But I believe he's not lying. I believe he's telling the truth and that there's more on the table for each of us. Jesus says, everyone, you can expect the best of God. Why? He gets down in verses nine through 11. He says, because the father that you're communing with in prayer is a good, generous, attentive father. And he says, and if you as sinful men know how to give your kids good gifts, how much more so for your perfect father? And so we come this, this month with this level of expectation. We're asking like children. We're seeking like friends. We are knocking like servants. And we're saying, hey, God, we expect you to keep your word in your ways because you're a good father and you're a truth teller. You know, about six years ago, I realized for me, like prayer is so hard. Have you ever noticed like sometimes you sit down to pray and it's like you start praying for your friend and they're like, hey, I wonder how they're doing. So you get on Instagram and then like three hours later, you're still on Instagram. <laughs> it's like, oh, Jesus, I'm sorry. <laughs> like, get so distracted. Have you ever noticed how easy it is to get distracted in prayer? There's a reason for that because it's the most powerful thing on earth and the enemy knows that. I remember about six years ago just being convicted that I didn't have a, a great prayer life and, and so I'm like, okay, Lord, I, I wanna be a, a better prayer and so I had my brother-in-law, who's a carpenter, he built me a, a prayer kneeler so I could have a place to pray in my house. And then I read every book I knew how to read on prayer, and I went to conferences on prayer, and I, I went to visit people who were good prayer warriors. And do you know what I learned about prayer? Is there's no substitute for actually praying. Like, like, like if you wanna get better at praying, you don't get better at praying because you read about prayer or thought about prayer or talked about prayer. You get better at praying because you did what? You pray. You pray, like, and it's, it's not that complicated. We pray, we, we come like children, we seek like friends, we, we knock like obsessive servants saying that we wanna see the will of the Father burst into our world and God shows up in those moments. And for me, it was just, okay, like how do I start? And I just wanna give you two really simple handles as we come into this. If you've ever struggled with prayer, two simple things that may help you. Number one, start small, 
Start small, and number two, stick with it. Start small and stick with it. Starting small, you know, uh, a lot of us, we try to pray the way that we try to work out in January. It's like, man, I haven't been to the gym in nine months, but it's January 1st, and I'm gonna work out for three hours today. Like, you know, I'm gonna make up for everything I neglected in the year before. And then what happens? You get in and you work out for three hours, and then you don't go back for six months because you're so sore. You know, it's like, and that's what we do with prayer. You know, some of you are sitting here on the front of this month, and you're going, man, for the next 30 days, I'm gonna pray nine hours a day. And not to be a discouragement, but no, you're not. <laughs> it's not gonna work that way. I go, I go, what if you started with 10 minutes? What if you started with 10 minutes? It's not about intensity. It's about consistency. Start small. And start like a child. Just ask God for everything. Talk to God about everything that comes through your mind, whether it feels spiritual or not. This is a practice that I still try to lean into every single day before I get out of bed and before I touch my phone. I just try to thank God for everything I can think to thank him for. It's like this morning, and it's 4.30 in the morning. I woke up getting my heart ready for today, and I'm in bed, and it's warm, and I'm like, Lord, thank you for these sheets. I have no idea what the thread count is, but they're soft, and they're comfortable, and thank you, Lord, for Sydney, and that our marriage is in a good spot right now, and thank you for our kids in the room next door. Thank you for the season of life they're in. God, thank you for this house, and thank you for the coffee I'm about to drink, and, and thank you for another day, just this, this gift of breath in my lungs right now, and thank you for the hot shower, and thank you for the people at Ethos that I love. And uh, I, I just dare you to start every day thanking God for everything you appreciate in life. And you realize really quickly, 10 minutes is not enough. You know, on Thursday, I'd gone to eat lunch at school with one of my boys, and I'm walking out of school, and I'm like, God, that was awesome. And I'm just telling him, it's just my prayer life. God, thank you, like, that was so much fun. You know, in a few years, all of our kids will be off to college. They'll, 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 they'll move out quicker than I know how to, to see, and they'll live in different cities. And there's gonna be a day where there's no little kids in living in my house, going to a school that I can go see for lunch. Thank you for this season. God, even sooner than that is they'll be in middle school and they won't own me in public. And thank you, God, that they're in elementary school and that they'll be seen with me in public that I can come hang out with. God, thank you for this season. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. I, I dare you to try it, 10 minutes a day. Just start, just start with thanking God. Start small. And what you'll find is, man, in, in the middle of the gratitude, you'll start to, to see the beauty of his heart. And as you see the beauty of his heart, you'll start to see the beauty of his plans. And without even meaning to, you'll go from asking to seeking to knocking. Start small. Stick with it. Just every day. If you can't pray 10 minutes a day, that's actually another sermon. There's another, there's another problem. If you're too busy, if you don't have 10 minutes in the day, but just start small and stick with it. And God honors, God honors every small step of obedience. Think about the story of Susanna Wesley. She lived in the end of the 1600s, early 1700s. She had 17 children. Nine of them died before they graduated high school. She lived in a small one-room house. Her husband traveled like crazy, so she raised her kids pretty much by herself. She taught them school. She raised them in this little home. Their house burned down two times over the course of like 10 years. Just a really difficult life that she lived. But she was, she was known for her ferocious prayer life with the Lord. And so in the middle of that small, crazy house with kids running all over, uh, the kids knew that when she put the apron over her head that she was with the Lord. 
And she'd put the apron over her head. She'd be at the dishes, apron over her head. They'd leave mama alone, you know? <laughs> Sitting in the rocking chair, apron over the head. They'd leave mama alone because that was her moment to pray. And she'd just pray. She'd ask. She'd seek. She'd knock on behalf of her kids. The reason anybody even knows Susanna Wesley's story is because two of her sons, John and Charles, John Wesley would become one of the greatest revivalists in human history. God did amazing things through him. And Charles Wesley, a guy who wrote 9,000 hymns, many of which are still in rotation, the most prolific worship songwriter in human history, they, they touched the whole earth and everybody'd say, hey, what, how'd you guys have this sort of faith? And they'd say, because our mother, she prayed it into existence. In the middle of all of that chaos, the apron would go over her head and she would ask and she would seek and she would knock and God would meet her there in that chaos and he opened a door for us. See, over the next month as we're praying over these names, life is still gonna be chaotic, it's gonna be hectic, it's gonna be crazy at times and the question is, what happens when we put the apron over our head? As we ask for what's in his hand, as we seek for what's in his heart, as we contend, as we knock for what's in his imagination. I think God's gonna do immeasurably more than we could ask or imagine. So I just, I wanna challenge you as we come into this month. Prepare yourself. Pick up your packet. Set your heart before the Lord and start asking God, hey God, would you help me to pray? Would you help me to pray the way that Jesus himself prayed? So here's what I wanna do before we go to communion I'm gonna invite you to get in groups here in just a second. You know, today, more than 350 churches, we're all preparing to enter into this together. And this morning, instead of praying for ourselves, I want us to take time to pray for the city, to pray for churches all over the city, and just one simple prayer request. Hey, God, would you give us a hunger to meet with you in prayer? Would you give us a hunger to meet with you in prayer? Because it's not gonna be a powerful thing just that 350 churches say they're praying. It's only gonna be powerful if 350 churches actually pray. So I'm saying, God, would you give that to us? So I'm gonna pray over you and then I'm gonna invite you to get in groups and then I'll send this to communion here in a moment. God, I love you. I thank you so much for these men and women. I thank you for the invitation to know you as a child, to seek you as a friend and to serve you like a servant. God, would you give our church a heart of prayer? Would you give our city a heart of prayer? And God, would you open doors that no man could open and shut doors that no man could shut? God, would you do what only you can do? In the name of Jesus, I pray and give thanks, amen.